Do we need to each take a slurp before we start? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Saturday, so we're doing... ASMR uh, instead of our beer cracking. My ASMR today is just going to be sniffling. I'm just gonna, there's just going to be a million sniffles that you're going to have to cut out probably. Let's play a drinking game. Every How time Sarah times? sniffles, take a shot. Yeah. No one's going to be wasted to 15 minutes <laughs> I meant for our listeners. Yeah. But we could also... Oh, yeah. That's why I said they're going to be wasted yeah. 15 minutes in. I'm going to be wasted. Yeah. Well, I'll be... I'll be for their sake, hopefully cutting a lot of it out. Let's start. Okay. Let's start at the very beginning. Hi, my name is Maggie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Mad, Mad Woman, Woman in, in the, the Attic. Ho, 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 ho. Is it ho on every single one? Yeah, it's like ho, ho, ho. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to have to practice. <laughs> Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, we're not supposed to be thinking about Rome. Too late. <laughs> That's for the boys. I did realize what my Roman Empire is today. What is it? Lee Pace, the actor. Who is Lee Pace? He plays Thranduil, is that the name? Daddy Elf in the Hobbit movies. He plays Empire in Foundation, the show. Let me Google him. Yeah, you should. <laughs> because you know none of this is going yeah. to ring a bell for me. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my Roman Empire. It's the eyebrows. The eyebrows, yeah, and his voice. If you hear him talk, especially in Foundation, it's like just. <laughs> Are you okay? Do you need a minute? No. Yeah, give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about his voice. Woo! <laughs> so that's my Roman Empire. In here. So take off all your clothes. I am getting so hot. I'm gonna take my clothes off. I did actually start sweating a little bit. I just did a strip tease. <laughs> oh, I missed it. <laughs> I'll see it on the video It'll later. Video. That's for our Patreon subscribers. Yes. Only. Yeah, they get all the sneak peeks except for the foot photos. Mm. Those are extra. <laughs> yeah. Our audio listeners. Not mm-hmm. our Patreon mm-hmm. subscribers don't can't see what I'm wearing, but Maggie gave me an outfit yesterday that's fabulous, a little out of my wheelhouse. It's giving baddie to describe yeah. it to our listeners only. I'm wearing a two-piece set. Mm-hmm. It's one of those outfits that's like pajama-esque. Yeah. Crinkled. But fabulous. Crinkled fabric. Tiger faces. It's black. All over it. Tiger faces. I have an orange tank top underneath with a hat, and I have platform sneakers on. And I walked from my house to Maggie's house wearing this, and I felt just like the baddest bitch. In the whole plaza. In the whole world. Oh. Why I think small. (laughs) I was like... (laughs) Oh my god! No one talked to me. No one talked to me. No one looked at me. I was like, <laughs> like they're all me. so jealous. Oh my god! No pictures. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of bummed. I bought a size too small. It's from um, Dressed in Lala. Yeah, it's really cute. I like these sleeves. Yeah, they have a lot of that. My tiger sweatshirt that I bought in my sleep is. From there. <laughs> I love that sweatshirt. Yeah. Yeah. I literally, I had a dream that this sweatshirt was selling out. And uh, so I like woke up the next day and I was like, that was a really realistic dream that I bought this sweatshirt. And then I looked at my like browser history and it was like, thanks for your order. I was like, well, <laughs> at least I have it. I am not at canceling. Least it's cute. 
What's been going on? Anything? Oh, I can give you a follow-up because I did say in the last one yeah. that I was going to the psych person. Psychiatrist. I almost said psych, psych department. Psychiatrist. <laughs> psych Iatrist, yeah. So I did go to a new psychiatrist, and she was amazing. I got my antidepressants increased. <laughs> yeah, we're on day one of 450 milligrams of Wellbutrin. <laughs> um, so we'll see. So all all y'all in in the Wellbe Club out there, I know at least a couple of people in the audience are <laughs> on Wellbutrin. I think including my mom. <laughs> Shout out we're in to the, Jill. the Wellbutrin Club. So yeah, that went really well. I'm not getting tested for ADHD yet, but might in the future. Yeah. At some point, we're trying meds first. So. And she sounded so great. She was so great. I cried because I think psychiatrists can be very just clinical. And she asked me so many questions that never made me feel like patronized or like she was trying to be like, do you really need these meds? And so I felt very like, she really wanted to know lots of details to be able to kind of like help me find the right thing. So yeah, that that's my update is I went to my psychiatrist. Yeah, that's a good update. Yeah. And I don't know if I have many other updates. It was a slow week. It was a slow week. I went to a boys night this week. You did? Boys night? <laughs> On Sunday. I was invited, was but I said, y'all are insane. And I went home because <laughs> it was Sunday night and I don't have a job, but I was not. Going out on a Sunday. It was fun. What else did I do this week? Oh, we went to a Halloween party last night. Went to a Halloween party last night. Yeah. Not much else. I'm going to the dentist next week. That's going to be stressful. Mm Mm-hmm. But exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm getting Invisalign. Yeah. Which I've been wanting to do for years because Mm -hmm. I had braces as a teenager and my teeth got crooked again. Yeah. So I'm getting Invisalign or, excuse me, off-brand generic Invisalign, but in the process I have to get my teeth cleaned, which I hate doing, so. I love getting my teeth cleaned. I'm always, I take Advil before I go because my teeth are always sore after, usually, like my gums. But it's just like, I like doctor's appointments, except the gyno, (laughs) where I have panic attacks. But I like dentists. I like most doctor's appointments, usually. People are just like, paid to listen to me and pay attention to me (laughs) i don't like it and it's like oh i feel special (laughs) i really don't love it but yeah at least i get it over with yes boring boring week which is fun i made the mistake of watching a sad animal movie this morning right yeah the vibes are a little low i watched the art of racing in the rain if anyone's listening that has read the book or watched the movie you know i'm feeling a little low yeah it's just so sad Mm -hmm. i read the book years ago the book was sad. Mm-hmm. The movie was also really sad. Yeah. And Milo Ventimiglio is the main character who is just the love of my life. Yeah. Although, well, I won't. Yeah. Why don't we slander a man? I have heard not great things about him. Yeah. From all my celebrity <laughs> friends. I've heard not great things about yeah. the, the man, the real man. But mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah. I think the biggest one is that he dated. Someone too young. I think more than one, like, really young actress when he was, like, at least 10 years older than them. So a Leonardo DiCaprio type. I don't know if he is now. that extreme of a But when he was, like, younger, he dated, like, really young Mm. girls. But who knows? That could just be... Yeah. Who knows? 
Yeah. But he's very handsome. I'll give him that. Yeah. Fun to look Super at. Super handsome. <laughs> we can admit someone's fun Any to look at. Any other Team Jess girlies in the audience? What does that mean? That's from Gilmore Girls. That's oh. the character he plays on Gilmore Girls. I have never watched Gilmore Girls. Well, you did a little bit with me and you right. hated it. It stressed I me out. It. I love it's it. It's just all based on, show. look... <laughs> Now I'm getting riled up. The vibes are not going to be low soon. We are going up because now I'm getting angry. Uh, yeah. Not angry. But I hate miscommunication tropes. Yeah, you really in do. In books, and shows. Just fucking talk. Yeah. Well, And they never do it's that. It's a dysfunctional family. Yeah. But just talk. Be not dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> be better. <laughs> I hate to break this. Together. Talk to each other. <laughs> but that is most people's family situations. <laughs> Um, but I feel like I understand dysfunction in that, in that family and in existence in general. I think it's specifically like miscommunication used as driving the plot forward. Like if the only reason the plot exists is because people aren't talking to each other. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what was in the first, like we watched the first episode. I'm trying to remember what happened that you were like sweating. And I was like, we can just, we don't have to watch this. (laughs) I like my comfort show that I watch every fall. I don't even like the plot of the show. It's just something where it's like cozy and I can, you know, Mm -hmm. I know the whole show and can fall asleep, which is very important to me because I fall asleep during television. Right. So I can just turn it on, fall asleep. I don't miss anything. Yeah. My heart. Anyways. Back to racing in the rain. I just liked it because it's from the dog's perspective. Yeah. And they do a lot of fun storytelling with it where he has like limited information. Like he... He is, like, a really, like, good dog, so they Mm -hmm. take him more places than most dogs, but then he's, like, missing pieces of information because he's, there's certain places he can't go because he's a dog, Mm -hmm. so, like, there's something that happens in a hospital and he can't go in the hospital, so he, like, knows what's going on. Right. But, like, doesn't have the words for it because... Mm He's not there. And he acknowledges when he's telling the story, he's like, well, and I can't go there. So I, but I imagine this happened. Yeah. There's a, there's a part of it where the humans are in court Mm -hmm. and he's watching a court show on TV at home. And then his humans are in the, and he's like imagining what's happening with them because he knows they're at court. Court. And it's like this very silly portrayal of yeah. what, what like might have happened at the courthouse. Yeah. It's just like a very fun, fun storytelling. Yeah. But it's devastating. Two minutes into it, I was weeping. Yeah. Any animal. I was crying this morning because I saw a video. You know the dogist who takes pictures of all the dogs yeah. on the streets in New York or whatever? He met someone where he did like a greater interview with them. Like, was there... It starts off and you're like, this is a different style than he normally does. And then you find out it's because he met somebody whose dog, it's like their last week. And so they're talking about all the things they're doing for him and stuff. And like, they rescued him because his owner was incarcerated. And he has an inoperable tumor on his spine. And my childhood dog, Zeke, had a spine tumor. And that was why he died. So I was also crying over an animal video this morning. Yeah. Just a different type. Well, in this one, I don't know why. It was a, it was a good movie. I really yeah. liked the movie. But I, I had read the book. I know what it's mm-hmm. about. I knew it was going to be really sad. And it came up on my, like, would you you should watch this. Yeah. And I did. But mm-hmm. it was kind of a nice Saturday yeah. way to start the day. And last night, I watched The Golden Bachelor yeah. Which is also making me cry every time I watch it. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. I think it would make me it's cry also. It's precious. 
Yeah. But the most, I think the biggest difference between the Golden Bachelor and the original Bachelor, there's several. Uh, the one thing that everyone's been saying is that the women are way more like supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's because they're much more secure. Yeah. They are very secure in themselves. Mm-hmm. They're, like the episode yesterday that I watched, there was a talent show. Mm-hmm. And even the one woman who was really sad, she was like a pro- she was a professional dancer. Yeah. She did a dance and was mm-hmm. like really confident. She's like, I know I'm going to win the talent show. And then she did it. Yeah. And even she was like, I'm so happy for the woman who won. Yeah. And I can be disappointed for yeah. myself. That was what she said in the yeah. interview. And I was like, oh, it's so nice to see like women portrayed that way yeah. on television. And then the other thing is that they're communicating, like, relationship-wise. You can just tell that they're older and have more experience under Mm -hmm. their belt because they're communicating, like, this is who I am, this is what I like, this is what I want in a partner. They're very openly, like, this is what I like about you, this is why I think we would be a good match, and not all the miscommunication tropes in the other They're just very open. It's very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sweet. Yeah. It always makes me cry. And then The Bachelor, Gary, shout out to Gary, (laughs) who's just so sweet. He just cries like every rose ceremony. He's so just openly sensitive and sweet. Oh. Just love him. And they're all like, he's just a good, good man. Just a room full of women. That's hard to do as a man. Yeah. Anyways. Those are my updates, mostly (laughs) television related. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Should we dive in? I can see the images for the story today. Yes. Making me very excited. Yeah. So we had one of the Q&As that was about Halloween stories centering women. This one is a Halloween story. Can be. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a real story. So it's not like a Halloween story people tell. A spooky story. Yeah. But... You'll see why I think it fits. Yay. So we did a Q&A thing. I think we'll answer more at the end. Yeah. But that's our there was today. one specific one that was about Halloween stories. Like, what are our favorite Halloween stories? Even better if they center women. And so this is like a real life story. But it kind of fits into the Halloween category. Fun. So this will probably be coming out after Halloween. But it could be a last hurrah of the spooky season before we enter the rest of the holiday season. You know, all year can be spooky. Yeah. With the right attitude. Right. Yeah. And just a little bit of paranoia. Yes. <laughs> check. Check. Check, check. Check, check, check. All right. Okay. Ready? Ho, 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 ho. Story time. We'll get music eventually. Yeah, we were talking <laughs> That was the other yesterday. bit of feedback we got was like, eventually you should have like real music. We were like, yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah. That is something we will do eventually. Yes. But today, no. No, not today. We're going to continue to sing. Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Here is a history refresher for people like including me who didn't do well on the AP history tests. <laughs> I did not pay attention. So... At this point in history, where our story kind of begins, Germany and the Soviet Union are sworn enemies, but had 
signed the Molotov-Ridentrop Pact in 1939, essentially like a non-aggression pact. So that happened, and then there was <laughs> a lot of invasions and rejected peace treaties and stuff between Eastern and Western Europe, all the powers over there, until Germany launched an invasion of the Soviet Union in 1941. So the non-aggression pact did not last very long. So this invasion was the biggest invasion in recorded history, and it started the bloodiest conflict in world history, the Axis-Soviet War, also known as the Eastern Front. It was basically just like two major theaters of, there's yeah. the Eastern Theater and the Western Theater. Also the most lethal conflict in human history with over 30 million dead as a result, more land combat than all other World War II theaters combined. Wow. Yeah. Which I feel like, at least the history classes I had growing up, very, very much focus on the Western Front mm -hmm. when learning about World War II. So a lot of this felt like new information to me just because I don't feel like we were told or I wasn't really told as much about the Eastern Front at all. So it was where interesting is, to research. Uh, excuse me if this is a dumb question. Where, like what country, like what border is that? What's the geographical location? Should I Google it? Yeah. I mean, it's Germany invading the Soviet Union. Oh, here it is. There's a map. Around, Yeah. So it was very, yeah, widespread across that area. Like that whole space between the Soviet Union and Greater Germany. So it's just the other side of yes. that territory. Got it. Yeah. So that's where, and I'm doing the thing again. I'm setting the scene again because that was fun for me last time and I'm doing it again. So this is where our story begins with the Red Army, as they were called, battling Nazi Germany forces. It's 1942. The war is in full swing. Imagine you're a German soldier. It's the middle of the night. You're surrounded by darkness and a strange quiet has fallen over the battlefield. Someone nearby is keeping an eye on the radars, which show no sign of approaching enemies. But then, suddenly, a low hum fills the silence. Despite no warning from the radar, an enemy plane has appeared. This has happened before. Planes that can't be picked up by radar appearing suddenly in the night like an apparition. Because there has never been much warning, no one has succeeded in shooting a plane down. There had been a few times where it seemed like you'd hit one of these apparitions, so you stopped firing, hoping to save ammunition, as the engines fail and the plane heads toward the ground, surely to end in a fatal crash. But then the engines roar to life again, and the plane veers upward, flying to safety, and they've slipped through your fingers once again. So planes continue to appear as the weeks pass, not once falling to your attacks, until tonight. Tonight, your squadron gets lucky. You and your comrades shout, watching the plane tumble from the sky. Celebrating, you and the others rush to the wreckage. You get there first, Sarah, German soldier. So you're the lucky man who gets to pull the helmet off the dead soldier. A thrilling moment after so many nights living in fear of these silent assailants. But when you pull the helmet off, long hair tumbles out. The voices around you fall silent. This is who had been terrorizing you for so many weeks? A woman? You recall the sound the wooden planes made when they appeared. A low whoosh, engineless, as if a wooden vessel were drifting through the air. Or a broom. A woman in a wooden plane, terrorizing entire squadrons of men. In the silence, you give the woman and all those like her a name. Night Witch. So, there. The scene is set. The scene is set. <laughs> Ta-da! So, flashback to 1941. There's a lot of Russian names in this, and I did not take Russian. <laughs> so, bear with me. 
So flashback to 1941, Marina Raskova is at this point a well-known pirate. Pilot. <laughs> pirate. Yeah, we're with you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Marina Raskova is at this point a well-known pilot, basically like Russia's Amelia Earhart. Okay. Famous for long-distance flights. Cool. And she was receiving a flood of letters from women who wanted to like join the fight against the Nazis. There were plenty of women in support roles, nursing, that kind of stuff. But they were like, we want to be on the front lines. Yeah, cool. So Marina starts pushing for the formation of a women's military aviation unit. And there was a lot of stuff I read that was basically like, so many things had to kind of like happen for Russia and the people in power to be like, yeah, we need this. Mm -hmm. So all the political turmoil up to this point and just like the sheer vastness of the conflict created a sense of desperation, making like additional forces necessary. So finally in October, 1941, which spooky season, Halloween, Mm -hmm. Joseph Stalin gives uh, Raskova permission to establish all women air squadrons. Cool. Yeah. And she received over 2,000 applications. Wow. Yeah. And soon had three squadrons. So I think about 400 of them were chosen from these applications. I, I, think there was only, I think there was three main squadrons. There may have been more, but only one of however many there were remained exclusively female. And that is the 588th Night Bomber Regiment. Cool. Yeah. Where everyone from the pilots to the commanders to the mechanics were women. So... Applications come in. She picks out the ones that she's like, yep, yep, yep. So in 1942, women aged 17 to 26, so very young, Mm -hmm. joined Raskova to begin training. They were, of course, met with skepticism from the male hierarchy, largely male hierarchy. And they faced sexual harassment, obviously, from their own people. Some even thought they were like a propaganda stunt. And there just wasn't... A plane flies overhead. Whoa! <laughs> the night witches! Or the-, the day witches! And because, like, they hadn't prepared for war with the idea that women would be soldiers, they had to wear kind of ill-fitting uniforms and shoes because they just didn't have uniforms for them. Mm-hmm. The planes <laughs> that they were given were not much better than the uniforms. So they flew Holikarpov. <laughs> Po-2 aircraft? Okay. (laughs) Question mark? It was a two-seated open cockpit biplane that at this point were like obsolete for the most part. Mm. So they're like, "Mm, you can have the worst of the worst. Yes. Yeah. The leftovers. Yes, exactly. They were made of plywood frames (laughs) with canvas stretched over them. They had no armor, no radio, were very slow. There was also little protection from the elements, so they were exposed to freezing wind because this is like winter Eastern Europe. So they had, like many of them got frostbite. And you're quite high up. It's cold anyway. Well, they're actually pretty low for various reasons, but still, it's still still higher, obviously colder, windier. yeah. Yeah, the wind chill alone from zipping by in a plane, fully exposed, led to a lot of frostbite. There was also no radios. So, like, basically they used a lot of these things that were considered faults and weaknesses to their advantage. So no radio meant they couldn't be picked up by radar. Um, Smart. Yes. So they began their mission in June 
1942. Yeah, because recruitment happened in 41. So they began their mission in June 1942 and continued to the end of the war, like the whole rest of it. They flew multiple bombing runs as soon as the sky darkened up to like 18 in a single night. Wow. So because the light planes, they only could carry like six bombs at a time. So they would go out, do a run. As soon as it was done, they would like go back, be rearmed and sent back out. Wow. Yeah. So it also meant like there was a very like low weight limit. In addition to like they couldn't take a lot of bombs, they also couldn't bring parachutes. And Ooh. they also had to fly at lower, more easily spotted altitudes. Yeah. So <laughs> to avoid getting hit, free planes would run together. They would cut their engines as they approached. So it was silent. Yeah. The enemy obviously had little time to prepare because they couldn't see them coming or hear them coming. As they drew close, two planes would draw searchlights and enemy fire as a distraction, while the third one would go unseen in the dark to drop bombs directly on the enemy. Strategery. Very cool. So... (laughs) When the Nazi forces discovered they were women, uh, not only did they give them the name Night Witches, which was meant to be derogatory, but they were like, hell yeah, (laughs) call us Night Witches. But rumors also spread that the Soviets were giving them pills that gave them night vision like cats. (laughs) That sounds familiar. Because women can't be good at things without some sort of weird help. Dumb. And there was also rumors that they had been criminals that were sent to the front lines as punishment for their crimes. And there was one of them, Nadezda Popova, who was one of the night witches who flew like... Did she pop over the... (laughs) She popped over the Germans. Did they call her Popova? Because she popped over (laughs) Yeah. Anyways. That's my contribution. So I just showed up today. Yeah, to, to make a little research. pun. I just show up and I'm like, oh, you mean, you mean Papa Mark? Thank you, thank you, thank you. So good, so good. Yeah, Popova was one of the night witches. She was quoted in a book where she was basically just like, that's ridiculous. Like, we just had really smart, talented, educated women. So here are some stats. 30,000 bombing raids. Wow. 3,000 tons of munitions dropped on Nazi forces. Only 30 pilots were lost during the fighting. And a lot of those were like, not a lot, but I know at least a few of them weren't even because of enemy forces. Um, Yeah. Or, man, I can't remember what I looked up about a couple of them that crashed. I don't remember. But, yeah, so not that many pilots were lost. Um, 23 of them were awarded the title Hero of the Soviet Union. So just like an honor, an honorary award. So here are um, some notable, notable people from the groups. Popova, who I just mentioned. Our girl. Yes, we love Popova. So her brother had been killed at the front in 1941, and her home had been taken by invading German troops. So she was just like, yeah, fuck you guys. So she was chosen by Reskova and became a squadron commander in the Night Witches during the Second Well, yeah, obviously during the Second World War. (laughs) I don't know why I wrote that. So she became a squadron commander in the Night Witches. She was the one who got 18 bombing sorties in one night. Wow. And a total 
of 737 sorties, wow. which is sorties. I, I had never really heard that word. I think that just means trips out. Sorties? Yeah. How do you spell it? S-O-R-T-I-E-S. Are you Googling? Of course. Yeah. Tell the, tell the listeners what it means. An attack made by troops coming out from a position of defense. Mm, yeah. Cool. Is it short for something? I don't know. A sudden issuing of troops from a defensive position against the enemy. Mm-hmm. I wonder why it's called that. I don't know. I don't know the etymology. So yeah, she was the one who completed the most in one night, which is 18, and then 737 sorties, which is insane. Yevdokia Bershinskaya. Nice. You're doing great. Thanks. You're doing great with these names. <laughs> um, was the regimental commander of the Night Witches and became the only woman ever to be awarded the Order of Suv- Suvorov, which is just, I mean, another like honorary award post-war that, you know, a lot of people got the hero Soviet Union, but this one apparently was like big shot. And then Maria Smirnova was the first member to reach 500 sorties. Every time you say sortie, I think shorty. <laughs> like they're just stacking up shotties. <laughs> Respectfully. <laughs> shotties like a melody in my hand. Every day. Okay, so by the end of the war, Maria Smirnova had totaled 935 sorties. Wow. Yeah. Once, a lot of shoddies. Yes. <laughs> That's a lot of shoddies. <laughs> we, now we can't get through this. Because no. it just sounds like they're Nine collecting shoddies. Collecting shorties. <laughs> uh, I ruined it. <laughs> Why am I like this? <sighs> it's a lot of bitches. <laughs> Witches get bitches. They're <laughs> <laughs> just... World War II. <laughs> I'm not gonna say aloud what I just did. <laughs> that's for just the Patreons. That's for just our mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, she had 935 shorties. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, once Smirnova's regiment sent her to a recreation center, which I think is just like rehab mental health care for medical treatment to restore her health. She ran away after three days because she couldn't stay when others were risking their lives. Wow. She was like, fuck this shit. I'm going back to the front lines and bolted. There was also, and I couldn't like super, super fact check this, but there, she potentially went down behind enemy lines mm-hmm. and trekked through hostile territory to rejoin her unit. Scary. Yeah, terrifying. I can't super confirm that because I couldn't find more than like one yeah. place. Well, we're going to say that, that but it happened. Yeah, because, because cool. We want to. Right. And then Raskova, like the mother of all this who had created the Night Witches, she was mainly... Mommy Night Witch. Mommy Night Witch. <laughs> she was... <laughs> <laughs> Mommy Night Witch was... Um, base, was not, didn't really go out to the front lines because she was... In charge. Know, in charge. Right. So she was sent to the front lines on January 4th, 1943, but her plane never made it, oh. which is so sad. She was given the very first state funeral of World War II, and her ashes were buried in the Kremlin. Oh. So 
This is where we shake our fists, you know. So despite this success and despite like the obvious admiration for her because they gave her this honor, titles and awards, but also this like this burial, when it came to the big victory day parade in Moscow, the night witches weren't even like included. Yeah. Yeah. So this part made me tear up a little bit, but just because I'm like, yeah, women. Um, So the night witches had apparently created 12 commandments. I couldn't find all of them. But the first one was, be proud you are a woman. Oh, no. I just stopped crying immediately. (laughs) Shout out to my mom for suggesting this. So there's a book, I think, called The Huntress that's a historical fiction. But I think she found out about this through them and suggested it for me. Jesus, I am unstable today. (laughs) (laughs) I need that extra antidepressant to kick in faster. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so basically, <laughs> taking my glasses off so I can wipe my eyes more readily. <laughs> I didn't put mascara on today, so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah, so it was that was like a pretty sh- very short version of. Do you like, know any of the story. other commandments? No, I had trouble finding them. But let me—they um, weren't in any of the places I looked. Let's do one more Google search. I love that the first one is be proud you're a woman because it seems like their whole mentality was like use your perceived weaknesses as strengths. Yes, both in like as women, but also in the supplies they were given. Yeah, just as soldiers too. Yeah. Yeah. So all of them just really talk about the first one, all the sources that I saw. I couldn't find one where they go through all of them. They look like bad asses. Yeah. I like that one photo where one of them's like smoking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, you just are. I mean, smoking is not cool, kids, but it looks cool. It's not cool, <laughs> but it does still look cool. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yes. And there's a lot of like recolored versions of these photos. I wanted like authentic, you yeah. know, black and white, um, but the recolored ones are pretty cool too. I want to know what bras they were wearing. Just because, like, high-performance clothing wasn't yeah. a thing yet. Yeah. But yeah. If, you, if your plane goes down behind enemy lines and you have to scoot back home, <laughs> I want a supportive bra. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I have to walk too far in a in an uncomfortable bra... Right. It's off. Yeah. I, <laughs> no way, Jose. That one time we went for a walk around the neighborhood, I yeah. took my bra off in the middle of it because I just couldn't... I couldn't right. deal. Mm-hmm. I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> for, I literally, like, that was kind of what I was thinking about a little bit was obviously it's different now because there are far more women in the military mm-hmm. going to war. But I think it's just, I even think back at the portrayals of women from that time and the way history portrays women in general is very fragile and weak. Yeah. And the ones that aren't that are like the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. But this was 2,000 women applied yeah. to be front lines. To do something. And several did. And most didn't die. Mm-hmm. And it was in some ways one of the more risky ways to be on the front lines yeah. too. I do. I can't imagine though like in not just in, in any war Mm-hmm. where your, like, home is yeah. threatened, I think, like, 
I feel like women's jobs during wartime are always portrayed as like the easier jobs. Yes. Where like, especially like during World War II Mm -hmm. in the States, women were doing a lot of like manufacturing of like war goods. Mm -hmm. I feel like when your home is being threatened, Mm -hmm. I I imagine it would be equally as hard, if not harder to have to just sit there and be scared and do the at-home jobs that are really important, but, like, Mm -hmm. just be threatened all the time and you're not armed and Mm -hmm. you're not trained. Like, that would be, I think, scarier in some ways. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's like they were sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. They were, like, I think the part that is, like, heartbreaking, but also, like, oh, my God, women. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, like, so many, like, their own people... That they are fighting for, this is who they're going to war for, is people who don't even give them the respect they deserve or the treatment they deserve. Yeah. And they're, like, willing to be like, but this is still our country. This is still our home. And we're going to do what we can to defend it when they didn't get the kind of, like, respect that they deserved. They are fighting for something that didn't fight as equally as hard for them. Yeah. For the right to be recognized, for the right to be able to not have the threat coming from within their own home, from their own people. Obviously, there was a threat there, too, because of the sexual assault Mm -hmm. that happened. That, I mean, it's both sad and, like, impressive. Yeah. I feel like that's been, like, women... In general. (laughs) Like, I think when you look at women throughout history, I feel like it is, like, this strong spirit Mm -hmm. to, like, be so resilient when like you even like when women didn't have the right to vote Mm -hmm. we're still (laughs) fighting for what little they had yeah i think we still see that it it, even like on a very like small level when you think about like the writer's strike Mm -hmm. in hollywood yeah it's like women are picketing that they're still Mm -hmm. getting paid absolute shit compared Mm -hmm. to men like that's an industry that like really yeah (laughs) You know, you're not seeing the the type of progress that I think you see in some other industries. Mm-hmm. And, like, women are treated terribly in, in Hollywood, regardless of your position. Mm-hmm. And they're still picketing. Women are the best, man. Women are the best. I love us. Yeah. It's also interesting to me how many times throughout history you hear about people assuming that powerful women had some sort of unfair advantage. Like pills that give you night vision (laughs) yeah but like no i mean like something that is like like the the pills that gave you night vision like they assume that if you are skilled or you are good at something then there must be something behind that that is allowing you to be that skilled or good instead of it just being purely you're just that skilled and good yeah all the women who were like oh well you probably just slept your way to the top It's like, or maybe they were just really good at their job. (laughs) Or like women in the military today. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for women in the military today because I just feel like... a lot of bullshit. Well, even if you just think about like like in school Mm -hmm. when you do like physical fitness tests. Yeah. Like boys have different standard numbers than girls. Mm -hmm. I do think it's, like, harder, like, women can be as strong as men, but mm-hmm. it's harder to get there. Like, yeah. to build that level of strength, it, mm-hmm. I think, takes a lot more effort for women. Having, I, like, used to do weightlifting, like, a lot of weightlifting when I was mm-hmm. younger. It is really hard to be able to, like, move the kind of weight that guys can do without yeah. any training. Mm-hmm. And, like, to go through a 
basic training program as a woman and yeah. keeping up with the most in shape men. <laughs> yeah. The most physically fit men that you can be up against. Yeah. Would be so hard. Plus there's so much sexism. Mm-hmm. Plus a long history of sexual assault against women in yeah. the military. You know. Yeah. They're incredible. Yeah. Tough. Tough, tough, tough mm-hmm. women. Yeah. Proud of you guys. <laughs> Proud of you guys. I think it also parallels like any and not necessarily the physical part of it, but just the parallels to how many more barriers are in your way. So anytime you see yeah. a woman in the same position of like type of power as a man, you know she had to do so much more yeah. to get to that point. Yeah. And sometimes it's subtle, like I've noticed even yeah. just at work throughout my career. And it is a generalization. Like I've worked with plenty of really intelligent, amazing men. Yeah. You know, my dad is one of those people mm-hmm. where I'm like, wow, I just, you're amazing. I, mm-hmm. I love working with my dad. He is so smart and good. Yeah. Just so good to people he works mm-hmm. with. But I have noticed a lot of times the women I come in, like, especially with like clients or like when I was freelancing, like I would kind of be working with teams Mm -hmm. where I was like the outsider that was coming in and working on these teams. And like when I would meet new people through work, it was like a lot of times the women were so overqualified for their roles. Yeah. They had like crazy experience. They were Mm -hmm. so smart. They like really knew what to do in like every situation. And then I would encounter men in really high up positions who were just like, had no fucking not that clue. they were idiots, but it was like, you really don't have the experience to do your job well. Right. Yeah. And you're in a position of leadership. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're managing these women who are really, really smart, very really competent. experienced, really yeah. competent. It is really weird to see that over like, I'm like now, whatever, 10 years into my career mm-hmm. to see that over time just consistently happen is like... There's something to that. Yeah. And it's both because of hiring practices and also because we have just in so many ways taught women that, well, you have to be 100% qualified to even apply for these kinds of positions. And I feel like I've had to tell so many friends like, you know, when they're like, oh, I'm applying for this and, you know, but I don't really, I don't think I'll get it. Or like, maybe I shouldn't apply because like, I don't meet these qualifications. And it's like, well, a man would apply Yeah. with your exact resume. The job, they would apply. The job I currently have is a management job. Yeah. And the job I originally applied for at this company was basically the position that I manage. Yeah. And I felt like it would be a huge stretch to apply for the job I have. Mm-hmm. And... I was up against men. The the team I'm on is all women. Mm -hmm. And they weren't like, we need to hire a man. But I think they were like, if the best candidate is a man, that would be great just to like have, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's weird, but like a little diversity. Yeah. Our whole leadership at our company is women. Mm -hmm. And I got the job. Mm -hmm. And I was so shocked. I was like, I can't believe I got this job. Mm -hmm. And that was a learning moment for me. Because I'm more than qualified for yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And from what I've, I've heard from the people who hired me, I smoked the people I was up against. <laughs> so it yeah. was like, it was a lesson to me to be like, just do it. Just yeah. go for it. Like, And it, the worst that happens is you don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I think that can apply to so many opportunities where it's like, and it was also like my ex-husband was a person who just would be like, even if he wasn't super confident, mm-hmm. he just exuded confidence. And he was mm-hmm. like, I deserve this. <laughs> yeah. I worked hard for it. And he did. Yeah. 
And I, I, that was always like a really good like mm-hmm. um, lesson for me. Like watching him move right. through his career was like confidence gets you far. Yeah. And really like backing yourself, believing mm-hmm. in yourself. It's like if if you're not going to, who will? Right. Yeah. People take your lead about yourself. The way mm-hmm. you think about yourself, people take that lead. If you walk into a room and you're like, I am the best woman for this job. Mm-hmm. I'm qualified. I know my shit. Mm-hmm. People believe you. Yeah. Even if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, anyways, that was a tangent, but it it's true. Yeah. Always apply for the job. Mm-hmm. You're probably a, a lot more qualified than you think you are. What else from the story do we want to talk about? Oh no, I'm feeling so off today. I also, the last two times I've told the story, I wasn't like this the first story, but the last two times I felt a lot more self-conscious about whether or not you're entertained by the story. Oh. I don't know why that gets into my head as I'm like telling it. I'm like, this isn't funny. This isn't good. <laughs> no. Well, that was what I was about to say is the power of women working together. And mm-hmm. I think like I also, when we've been doing this podcast and we each take turns each episode where like one of us is leading it basically, mm-hmm. where one of us is telling the story. And I wasn't expecting the pressure I feel when I come to an episode that I'm leading. Yeah. Because it's like, if this is a dead episode, it's my fault. Yeah. And it's a weird pressure. Yeah. Where it's like, that's not true. Yeah. We're a team. Yeah. We're doing the episode together. I think like it is so hard to unlearn the narrative that there is only room for one woman to be good. Yeah. Or to be great. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? That is something I have had a hard time with. Yeah. Like there's the belief that there's not, is this the right time to use the phrase? It's not a zero sum game. Is that accurate here? Like, because I think it's so easy to think. I I think that a lot with my art. And I'm like, oh, there's so many other people who do fiber art. There's so many other people who do X, Y, Z, whatever. Or I see like friends getting art booths in markets where I didn't get an art booth. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it's because I'm not as good. You know, it's like there's room for everybody. Like, yes, there are certain professions or things where it's like competition is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. But in most things... I feel like collaboration and the belief that there's enough space for everybody is really important, especially in like creative pursuit, but also just like talent in general, Yeah, that there's enough room for all of us. And I've thought about that with a podcast specifically, like there are so many true crimes and dark history podcasts led by incredible women. I keep trying to remind myself, I have these podcasts that I love, Mm -hmm. my favorite murder, yeah. And when I've caught up on those episodes, I'm like, damn, I really I wish there was another like one. Yes. And so then that's how I found National Park After yep. Dark because I was like, National Park disappearances, you know, yeah. like I went searching for something similar. So it would have been so sad if we had thought, well, that's an oversaturated place right. without thinking of the fact that the people who love this genre, who love this type of media, are always looking for more. Yeah. Because I think the way we talk about this specific thing with women mm-hmm. in particular, like the way we talk about this is usually that women are portrayed as being pitted against mm-hmm. each other and that that's why we feel like we are always against right. each other. Mm-hmm. But I uh, I think it was on social media. I saw this video that was saying it's only been very recently that there has been more than one spot for women. 
in workplaces, like even in like the media you're seeing, Mm -hmm. it's not that you're being portrayed as pitted against each other. It's that it was way more competitive for women. Mm -hmm. There weren't endless opportunities for women. You had to be the best. You had to be the best woman at what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you had to be way better than all the men. And you might get (laughs) not the best spot. Yeah. You know, still. Mm -hmm. And that I think we're still in this like scarcity, like yes, a scarcity, scarcity mindset, mindset where it's like there isn't enough spots for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think it that is still true. Yeah. But I think as more women are in leadership mm-hmm. in across industries, right. we're creating more space for mm-hmm. women. And so it's making that scarcity issue right. less of an issue for mm-hmm. each generation that comes up behind us. Mm-hmm. And it's like the concept of like leaving the door open for yeah. the women that are younger than you. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more than that. It's intentionally pulling up chairs. Yes. Yeah. And I think, but it's hard to like unlearn the scarcity because mm-hmm. it's based on truth. Yeah. Uh, when I, so I freelanced for three years, like in the middle of my career. Mm-hmm. And that was a time when I really learned like, I hate networking, but it's like community. Yeah. Is what like really keeps you afloat. Mm-hmm. And it, it is what gets you like the best opportunity and gets you in the right rooms and gets you at the right tables. And yeah. like, I remember our friend Mads was my first freelance client. She, I had just texted her and been like, Hey, I'm thinking about freelancing. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to quit this job that I'm working at. I'm not happy there. And she, without me even like asking, mm-hmm. wrote this recommendation letter for me to a, a client who I ended up working with for a really long time. And it was like glowing. Yeah. And I could tell when I walked, like I had a first meeting with them. Mm-hmm. That email set the tone for my relationship with them. They, yeah. I showed up to that meeting. I already had the job. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they thought so highly of me. And like yeah. those are opportunities where it's like, it's really being intentional about yeah. how you set other women up for success. Yes. And I a story of the reverse happening. I remember, this is another Michelle shout out. <laughs> um, but I remember when we were coworkers, there was a situation where she was fresh out of college, mm-hmm. uh, way more mature and stable than I was fresh out of college. Just an incredible person overall, but also just already so skilled in a work setting. Yeah. And at some point she was on a client call with a new client and someone called her their, like the company's fresh meat, Oh, which is gross anyway. But I think she had to say something because it's like, you just like now that client has it in their mind that this person is new and inexperienced. Yeah. Yeah. And even if she is newer, it's, she's not inexperienced. She's not incompetent. She's yeah. wildly intelligent. Yeah. She's in Chicago booth for MBA. You know, yeah. like she's one of the most intelligent, capable yeah. people I know. But because of that one phrase, mm-hmm. she was set up to be seen as incompetent yeah. or too inexperienced for the role that she was in mm-hmm. by this client. Yeah, that was my very first job out of college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting a job with uh, one guy. <laughs> Who had just started a company. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me about that. And he wanted me to run his marketing. Mm -hmm. And we really connected in, like, the interview process. And I was like, all right, well, this is 
probably the best I'm going to get. I can do like a year, two years at this job, mm-hmm. get some really good, like learn as you go experience. Right. And I bet I'll get a better job mm-hmm. out of this after the fact. And I was working really closely with like all of his connections. Mm-hmm. So I was making really good connections. So it felt worth it to me. A mistake that he made very often is that he really blurred the lines between being his personal assistant, not yeah. even his executive assistant. Like, sure, I'm fresh out of college. I'm your marketing person. Yeah, you got his dry I'm scene, schedule your you? meetings. Sure, I'm doing that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, all sorts of bogus tasks where it was like, go take my car and to get cleaned. And there were some tasks where I was like, you know, okay, maybe I have to get this guy's lunch. Yeah. You know, like... All right. Mm-hmm. If he's going on a work trip, maybe I have to take his car in to get detailed. Okay. I don't want to do that, but like, whatever. It's my first job. Yeah. There was absolute bullshit I had to do for like his wife, for mm-hmm. his kids. I was like dropping his kids off at stuff. He would introduce me as his assistant mm-hmm. and I would correct him and he would laugh at me. I remember he asked me to, he was, his kids really wanted to go in his hot tub and it was uh, like they had neglected it. So it was like full of leaves and they needed yeah. to test the water and have someone come out. And he asked if I could go to his house and test the water of his hot tub. So oh my because God. his kids just really wanted to play in it that night. I'm living in a shitty apartment, mind you. I'm making not even a salary. I was making $10 an hour at that job. No health insurance. Going to his very, very nice house. And he had a term that he would always use that I don't remember exactly what it was, Mm -hmm. but it was something about like, are you utilizing the strengths of your team? Mm -hmm. And I remember I sat him down and was like, I was like, I'm very smart. I've done all this stuff for this company. Mm -hmm. I don't think that me taking two hours out of my day to drive to your house, do this with your hot tub, just for your kids and come back. I don't think that that's utilizing my strengths for this company. Think Mm -hmm. about what I could be doing for this company if you just tapped into what I'm great at. Yeah. And he laughed, you know, and he, but he listened to me. Yeah. And he said, okay, you don't have to do that. And shortly after that, I got a salary, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And it was kind of like a turning moment for me where it was like, you can't just downplay how lucky you are to have someone like me in this role. Mm -hmm. I'm exceptional. (laughs) Yeah. There's tons of idiots who could be in this job. Right. Mm-hmm. And of course, we hired a boy after that who yeah. got a salary right away, a title above me and did fuck all. Yeah. <laughs> he was really nice. We were mm-hmm. like work friends, but I was, yeah. like, I was like, I'm still absolutely running this place. Right. Yeah. But the way he would talk to me, to our partners and our, our clients was like, this is my assistant. This is my PA. Yeah. And they all also mm-hmm. talked to me that way and yeah. treated me that way. And they would be calling me in the middle of the night about booking their flights for stuff. And I'm like, I don't even work for you. Yeah. It was crazy. I worked that job for a year and never looked back. But it is a huge thing about mm-hmm. how you speak about, especially your young female employees, because yeah. they are going to be disrespected yeah. more than anyone else. Yeah. Huge thing for for the guys out there who are like want, wondering well, I care about this, but I don't know how to help. You know, they're, you're like, I treat the women in my life well. 
You know, like if you're if you're wondering, if you're sitting there wondering, how can you help? It's by paying attention to what, especially in your workplace, yeah. women are doing. If the only woman in your little circle round table office is the one taking notes. Doing admin stuff. Pay yeah. attention. Yeah. If the woman is the one who's cleaning up after y'all's company pizza party, pay attention. Yeah. And make sure that's not what happens. Because mm-hmm. like that, my name, na- <laughs> I'm getting fired up now. Like I remember my neighbor at my old apartment complex, she's been at the same company for decades now at this yeah. point. Like I think at least 20 years. And she said something in passing, and she's, I think, in her 50s. She said something in passing about how, you know, all the men leave the conference room after the meeting, and she is left, like, taking out the trash. And I was like, that's... Is that your job? Like, are you like an office manager? And she was like, no. I was like, well, I feel like that in every capacity. Men for women, white women for our black coworkers, people of color. Our job as the person holding the privilege is to just be paying attention to the things that could feel small to to you as the person with the privilege, but are a sign of a much bigger systemic problem. Yeah. And maybe you can't, maybe you aren't in charge of hiring. You can't make sure that hiring, like people, you hire women or people of color or black folks, like, but you can, but you can still, Hey everyone, pick up your trash after this meeting. So so so-and-so doesn't have to do it. Mm -hmm. You can offer to take the notes. Yeah. Or assign it to someone else. Assign it to someone. I suggest taking turns so everybody has to do it like a different week. I have endless stories of sexism at that first job I worked Mm -hmm. at, but that was, I had worked there at least six months, probably close to a year. Yeah. And my boss was mess, would leave shit everywhere. I took out the garbage. I would clean up his workstation. Mm -hmm. I would clean up my workstation. I'd be picking up food. Mm -hmm. He was like very wanting to recycle, but didn't understand recycling. So he would throw food in the recycling and I'd have to go through the garbage. (gasps) Ew. It was a nightmare. Months and months and months into this job, he had left, he had had like a bunch of important people came to town Mm -hmm. and he had told me like he was hosting them. I had set up this stuff, ordered a bunch of food for them. And then Mm -hmm. I went home. I was like, I don't need to be at this boys, boys thing. Yeah. Thing. I come in, there's drinks in the morning, Mm -hmm. come in, there's drinks everywhere, food everywhere. They didn't clean a thing up. I clean the whole thing up before he gets to work. And he makes some comment about the cleaning woman. Yeah. And I think he's calling me the cleaning woman at first. And I was like, I, you know, was like, huh. Then I realized he thinks we're, pay- he's like, how much do we pay for the cleaning service? We don't have one. $10 an hour. <laughs> it's me. Wow. I clean. And he didn't know. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're the one that's cleaning every every day at the end of the day. And I'm like, yeah, I take the garbage out. I clean up after you. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is like throwing away your lunch every day? Yeah. It's me. Yeah. And he had no idea. And it was like astounding to me. I will though at the end. I will close this. <laughs> well, we can continue talking about yeah. it. But I will highlight uh, an example in the positive, mm-hmm. which is my dad. My dad was in the military for 30 years. And then Mm -hmm. when he retired from the military, went into marketing. He's in a very similar career that Mm -hmm. I'm in. I have freelanced for him. I've also referred Mm -hmm. friends of mine to freelance for him. And they are always shocked that they will give him a price. And he'll say, oh, no. I'm paying you more. I'm paying you more. Yeah. Your work is worth more than that. And they'll Mm -hmm. say, oh, it doesn't really take that much time. And he's like, what you're giving me is worth more than that. 
And yeah. he has worked with like it's you know a lot of my friends are mm-hmm. women. All of the people I've referred to him are women, younger women around my yeah. age. And he they will come to me like I've never had someone I've worked with like this pay me more than I asked for, be mm-hmm. so kind and respectful to me every meeting I have. And he is that way with all the women yeah. he works with. And it really is like I think he will say it's because he has two daughters. And he sees the way we're treated at work sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not going to do that to the women that I work with. Yeah. But he's so thoughtful about it and so intentional about it. And I feel like the women that he works with are like, this is how it should be. Mm-hmm. You should sit, call out. It's not just saying like, do something about it. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to pay you more. Yeah. We <laughs> yeah. were, uh, I think we were at a brewery and the doctors were there. <laughs> Our friends, the And doctors. it was, it was... One we don't know well, but something happened where he, one of the women doctors who was there said something about someone calling her a nurse. Yeah. And he was like, oh yeah. And she always makes a big deal about it. And it's like, yeah, you would too. If your intelligence and your qualifications are always, Kristen gets that a lot Mm -hmm. uh, because she's a doctor in the Air Force. She gets that a lot. People are constantly calling her a nurse. And from patients. Yes. Disrespecting her, questioning her intelligence. And instead of saying, man, you just make such a big deal about that every time it happens, get over it. Or even, he wasn't even saying it like that. He's like, yeah, wow, you get dramatic about that as a mm-hmm. joke and with the intention of being like friendly and funny it's like that could be a moment when you see that happening where you cr- correct that patient yeah. where you're, you you say the she's the doctor to say she's the boss of this yes. room speaking up not like <laughs> taking the mic from somebody yeah but speaking up for people yeah. because i guarantee there are so many situations where women who are doctors stick up for themselves and they get backlash and it's exhausting to have to correct people all the time and it's it's really disheartening especially in the workplace because i feel like working is so Mm -hmm. exhausting yeah (laughs) to begin with and you don't really want to be there to begin with it's exhausting to have to be the only person standing Mm -hmm. up for you yes is is the worst. I will say my worst boss I've ever had, I won't name names, was a woman and she was a close the door behind her woman where yeah. it just was astounding how terribly they treated the women who worked for them yeah. from what they paid them to how they spoke to them mm-hmm. to how they like you walk into a client meeting and the way they would just absolutely yeah. minimize your right. intelligence and your experience and mm-hmm. it working for her was what led me to freelance yeah <laughs> because it was I feel like I had truly a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. from that job because it was just like I cannot possibly be treated this way by right. someone every single day yeah I feel like I talked to Janelle about that a lot because she had a similar situation and it was like if women grew up in that environment if women began their career in that environment there's two different paths yeah either they're like I'm gonna make a difference yeah and I'm gonna treat women differently or they're like you need to go through what I go through I like this is what made me who I am today this is why I'm successful is because I went through fire one of those is right and one of those is wrong In so many situations, we all fall into that mindset of, well, it's been that way. It was hard for me, so deal with it. Yeah. Instead of being like, it's hard for me and I want it to be easier for the next people. Yeah. I feel like that was a huge conversation when our generation, like the younger millennials, Mm -hmm. started managing the first Gen Z workforce. I feel like 
millennials in general, but like the younger half, probably Mm -hmm. when we joined the workforce, it was so the pay was so bad. And the hours were so crazy. Mm -hmm. And no one gave a fuck that you didn't like what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And it was just very widely accepted by us. Like Mm -hmm. we just accepted like we just have to do this. We just have to tough it out. And it won't always be this way. And like, I remember when I got to like the first point where it was like, okay, I have enough experience where I can negotiate, I have leverage. Yeah. And it was like, wow, this is so freeing to have a little bit of leverage. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Gen Z, they operate like they have all the leverage in the world in the workplace. And Mm -hmm. like, I love them. Mm -hmm. I love the Gen Z people that I manage Mm -hmm. and that I work with. And I think like they work in a way that's so like smart and also Mm -hmm. so like personable and human and they have so many strengths that I think our generation did not have Mm -hmm. at work but I hear a lot from our generation when I'm like talking to other managers of Gen Z people it's like man they just don't ever want to like go out of their way to do anything like yeah so like they just don't want to like work really hard or like above Mm -hmm. their pay grade they never want to go above and beyond and it's like yeah yeah and it, it is I think there's like I have felt and heard like frustration from our generation where it's like yeah. well we ha- we worked so much harder than them yeah <laughs> like, and it was it was not for everybody it was fake that's the thing is like yeah. none of us none I'm making generalizations deal with it there's nuance but <laughs> none of us were really wanting to always be going above and beyond for not enough no, pay I was miserable. like but we like I feel like I think that was why I felt such a and we've talked about this I felt such a relief in a way when I got laid off yeah because I was like thank god I don't have to fucking fake this anymore yeah and I got lucky because I have the ability to kind of make a career shift to something yeah. I do deeply care about but like I think the shift towards jobs just being jobs yeah you work for what you get paid for. Mm-hmm. Like, and that obviously, like, if there's people who are really, really excited and passionate about something and they're like, I really do want to work harder yeah. for this, 100% awesome. But for the majority of people... Yeah, like, we're taking hours to work on this podcast yeah. outside of our regular job, Right, for no pay. <laughs> and, and it, like, every once in a while, it's like, man, I really don't want to do that. But, yeah. like, most of the time, it's like... Yeah. I love this. Mm-hmm. I feel excited about it. I want to spend my free time mm-hmm. doing this. But yeah, I just was talking to two of my coworkers about like they have Slack on their phone and they always do. I always Both did. Of them took trips where they took Slack off their phone. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like you've said this and I think there's like nuance to it where some people feel like they're not as attached to their desk when they have mm-hmm. like work communication on their phone. They can step away. They don't feel as stressed. And I feel like I, after that very toxic boss. Yeah. I went right into freelancing mm-hmm. for three years and I really was intentional about unlearning. Yeah. If someone's going to fire me because I left my desk to right. go for a walk mm-hmm. or make my lunch and it took me 30 minutes to respond to someone, yeah. that job isn't for me. Yeah. And, and nothing, if to me, nothing is worth that. Right. And like, I haven't had anything work related on my phone or any sort of like mobile, anything that I'm taking with me or that's mm-hmm. on me. I haven't had that since 2018, 2019, yeah. maybe four years probably. And like, I will never go back. Yeah. And it is a hard line where like, if someone were to ask, mm-hmm. say, you have to do this for this job, like, I would no. say, this isn't the job for me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye. Yeah. And it takes so long 
to unlearn that. I wasn't at my first job <laughs> where I met you long enough yeah. for anything to really feel toxic or not otherwise. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Got laid off three months in. Yeah. But the next job I had oh. <laughs> really taught me that I, the amount of, I called it time anxiety, the amount of Mm -hmm. time anxiety I had where I wouldn't eat breakfast Mm -hmm. because I needed to sit down on my computer right away and start working because I had to clock eight hours that day. And if I didn't start, especially in winter when my seasonal depression was like, you need to quit when there's still daylight outside Mm -hmm. and go outside, I would get up and I would not eat all day. Yeah. Even though I was fully remote and quote unquote unlimited time off. Yep. Like I would not hours, flexible hours. And I remember having to have like a conversation at some point because one early when I started, the expectation was eight billable hours needed to be clocked a day, which is insane. One, there are so many studies that show people don't do more than like six hours of active work a day anyway. Yeah. Let alone billable. Billable. Yeah. With admin stuff. And so we had to figure that out. And they sort of listened and we kind of tried to make some adjustments there. Yeah. But And then there was like, especially as a creative, you know, I was like, uh, this is not how the creative brain works. Mm-mm. You cannot write for eight hours a day straight. No. And the response often was, you have flexible hours. You don't have to work for eight hours straight. And it's like, that's still... But then that's my whole life. Right. I'm working four hours in the morning and four hours in the evening. Like, yeah, usually more than that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm just now getting to the point where I am not as anxious about how I'm spending yeah. my time with work. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think I was at that job for two ish years and I was still news to the workforce. Like, like I said, I wasn't at that other job very long. So this was in many ways, my first yeah. like out of grad school job. And I also went into every other job or the next job with the assumption that it would also be that way. Mm-hmm. And even though the next one ended up <laughs> blowing up um, kind of towards the end of my time there and after early on, yeah, it was like eye opening that there was even the possibility to not clock your hours. Mm-hmm. I hate tracking time. God, I hate tracking time. I understand time. the purpose yeah, for it. Yeah, I understand but it. I hate tracking time. Yeah, because I it was amazing how much more I could get done in because I didn't have to clock my time. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't like, man, I have to make sure I spend eight hours today working yeah. on something because if I don't, if I don't clock that many hours, if I finish this blog post miraculously in two hours instead of six, then I'm going to be given more work. Mm -hmm. And that's like the constant, like the cycle of punishment that we have for people who are doing things smart and efficiently Mm -hmm. is just piling on more work instead of saying, cool, take the rest of the day off, go have a beer. Yeah. And I think that second job that I had was like, they said that that was, you know, cool, go have a beer or whatever. But if you got to the end of the month and they looked at the hours, they're like, you obviously have bandwidth for additional projects. Mm -hmm. Maybe it wasn't like a, you know, there's this faux unlimited time flexibility thing where it seems like that day you have that flexibility, Yeah. but you will pay for it later. Yeah. That was, I think that for me freelancing, I was... Let's see, how old am I? I was like 26 or 27, which is still pretty young Mm -hmm. when I went freelance and it was absolutely out of desperation. Yeah. I was at a job where I was like, I feel like I can't, I, it was the worst 
my mental health has ever been in my entire life. Yeah. And I was working part-time for them mm-hmm. at that time. So I moved away. They were like, hey, can you stay on part-time? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any work lined up. And I was like, I guess like I could use a break. Mm-hmm. And I think I was working 30 hours a week at the end of mm-hmm. my time with them. I went freelance and it, it took me probably a year and a half to two years of freelancing as like my mm-hmm. sole work and income. A lot of it is from your employer. Mm-hmm. It's pressure from your employer. Yeah. But the distress that I had about it was from me. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know, if I made a mistake or I forgot to do something, which happens. That's mm-hmm. part of life. Yeah. Especially when you're juggling a million different things. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. You're yeah. going to forget something. You're going to drop a ball here mm-hmm. and there. That happens. The amount of stress and like, I'd be crying over stuff from work. If if, if someone gave me negative feedback or like if a client was upset yeah. with me or things that like, especially when you're working with mm-hmm. like an agency style job where you're yeah. dealing with really high maintenance clients, they're going to get mad at you. That's the their time. business with God. Yeah. <laughs> in my, in my opinion. It's none of your business. <laughs> that's their business with God. That's not my business. Yeah. I had clients yelling at me over stuff that I had nothing to do with. Yeah. And I would take it so much to heart. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't, I'm not sleeping over it. Yeah. I'm not eating over it. I'm working late. Mm-hmm. I'm like, my relationships are suffering because I'm just this ball of stress. Yeah. I can't step away from my computer. What if my boss messages mm-hmm. me? I mean, this woman would, if I didn't reply to her on Slack or whatever we were using at the time, mm-hmm. she would text me and then she'd call me. Yikes. And then if I wasn't available, she would DM me on my social media channels in the middle of the night over absolute bullshit Nobody's going to die from marketing. Over Instagram. You know, this is not the end of the world. I know. And it took me years of freelancing to be like, you know, the way that person is speaking to me right now is their problem. Mm-hmm. That it has nothing to do. I can take feedback from people and I can work on things and improve. Mm-hmm. And like, I am really good at that now. Right. Where like someone can give me constructive feedback and I can say, that's really helpful for me to hear. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do X, Y, Z to improve at that. Right. I just had that happen at my current job. And it really helped me. Mm-hmm. If someone's yelling at me, I'm sorry. I don't care what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not receiving. One of my favorite things is I'm not receiving that. Yeah. That's not my business. We always say that as a joke, but it's like, that is not my business. That's Mm -hmm. your business. You deal with it. I'm not going to internalize stress because Mm -hmm. you don't know how to talk to someone respectfully or you don't know how to give feedback to someone Mm -hmm. or like you don't understand that I'm a human being and I need time to not be at work. Right. Or that... You, you can't call me on Christmas Day when I'm spending time with my family over some bullshit that doesn't matter. I have a life and I'm not going to be at the end of it regretting that I like, you know, I'm not going to be like, man, I wish I had worked more. I right. wish I had been more stressed about work. I wish I had, you know, taken to heart more of like these bogus mm-hmm. people yelling at me. It really took me a long time to unlearn. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at a, a really, I think, a company that's really good to people for the most part. I... It's the best job I've had by mm-hmm. far in a lot of ways, but we're in a really difficult season with mm-hmm. the economy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and like there's been a lot of stuff that everyone at this company has had to deal with and not all of it has been super pleasant. Mm-hmm. I think I have been very proud of myself because it's like, wow, mm-hmm. I really did do the work Yeah, <laughs> when I was freelancing to be able to have something really stressful happen at work mm-hmm. and walk away and be like, you know, this is just a job. Yeah. And I'm doing my best. 
and I'm dealing mm-hmm. with stuff that's difficult. I'm doing my best. I'm doing a good job. I did these things that were so great today. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, the rest of it's out of my control and I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I, like the effect of st- mm-hmm. stress long term on your body is crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm not going to ruin my life. Yeah. My over this. hairdresser, <laughs> no, no. soon after I was laid off mm-hmm. it was like the next like one or two appointments after i got laid off she was like you're losing less hair yeah because it was just and i wasn't even at the point where i felt like i was coping with like i had fully let go of that time anxiety i was so very early in the process mm-hmm. still am in the process but better at it now but like just that i had slack on my phone i wasn't as good at setting boundaries but it did help me get away from my desk more often which was good but it was even at a company that was, yeah. for the most part, very good with lovely people. It was still such a stressor yeah. to be tracking my hours, mm-hmm. to be constantly thinking about clients, yeah. to be getting pinged in the middle of the, ping me into the sun, to yeah. get <laughs> pinged, like in the middle of a complicated, thought-heavy task where someone's like, hey, I need you right now, and you have to completely shift gears. Like, yeah. in addition to just it being something... I had not admitted at the time, but realized now I just hate marketing. Yeah. <laughs> like most people in marketing. Yeah. And honest. was just burnt out. And if you say you don't, you're, you're a liar. <laughs> in addition to that, it was also no longer this constant thing in the back of my mind, even on a Saturday afternoon. I literally, my hair. Yeah stopped falling out as much because I was finally out of this constant need to like be thinking of how I'm spending my time. Yeah. Well, and I think when you're just always, even if it's not like the most stressed you've ever felt, mm-hmm. if you're always at this elevated stress level, I it was really helpful for me to read about like, what does that do to your body? That's like when your cortisol levels are mm-hmm. elevated for just extended, extended periods of yeah, time. Yeah, there's like literally you syndromes. You literally won't live as long. Yeah. Like it, it took me like really being like, this is not worth it. Yeah. And the most recent thing I struggled with that Mm -hmm. I'm, I think currently working through, people are not going to perceive me as the hardest worker at the company. Yeah. And I have to be okay with that. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's like stay in your lane Mm -hmm. has really been hard for me because there were two situations. One was like a performance review where a coworker said like, I don't respond fast enough to messages. Mm-hmm. And I took it really hard. Yeah, you did. I was really upset about it for weeks. I was mm-hmm. like, how can that person feel that way? Yeah. I'm so present and I, I feel like I'm just, I feel like all I do is respond to Slack messages. Yeah. <laughs> like all day. Your job day. is just Slack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, I really took it hard mm-hmm. because I think I have this, like, I want everyone to think that I work hard. Right. Like work ethic is something that's really mm-hmm. important to me. And it took, like, that was a couple months ago. I think it's taken a couple months for me to be like, you know, that handful of people not feeling like I'm the hardest worker they've ever met is okay. Yeah. I can live with that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's a difference between being lazy and being bad at your job Mm -hmm. and, like, being good at your job. Right. But maybe not everyone's going to perceive you as the best. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. And it's so hard. I mean, I think it does go back to kind of what we were talking about, about, like, the the things women have to overcome to get to where they are. We have to, in so many situations, 
be a much harder worker than our male counterparts Mm -hmm. to where we get to this point in our careers where we feel like if we don't, our jobs are at risk. Yes. People won't like us. And with women, if people don't like us, that makes our job, that means our job is at risk. Yep. (laughs) And it makes our job harder. When like there are so many, I feel like one of our friends has been going through this now at his job where this person is in a leadership position and nobody likes him. Yeah. He's a terrible human being, but he's able to keep his job for some yeah. reason. I think when women have been terrible... You're fired. You're fired. You're yeah. gone. Or for much less than that, you're fired and yeah, gone. I think and so true. there's like this constant I also anxiety about that. Women, the women... like, And I currently work with some of the smartest women I have ever worked with mm-hmm. that are just amazing. Yeah. And at all of the other jobs where I've worked with women, smart, exceptional, mm-hmm. amazing women absolutely always feel the need to do more than their job. Yeah. And I used to feel that way. My first like big Mm -hmm. agency corporate job, I got burned. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where I was, I think, (laughs) not the only one, but there was a bunch of us who were told we were shoo-in for a promotion. Mm -hmm. And then we were given all these little tasks Mm -hmm. to start learning that job. Right. And then, oh, Someone else was just given the job. No yeah. one else even interviewed. There was no process. Someone yeah. was just given the job. That was one of my friends. Mm-hmm. She was amazing. She deserved that job. Yeah. That was a learning experience for me that people will use your willingness to go yeah. above and beyond. And it's the frog in the boiling water. And like they, they start the it slowly and all of a sudden you're doing the work of three jobs if you tell, for no more money. It's like how we said at the very beginning of this conversation, the way you feel about yourself and the way you walk into a room, if you're confident, if you feel like you can do it, that's what, how you're telling everyone else to feel about yeah. you. If you tell everyone at your job <laughs> that you can do a job for your title and your salary, why would they pay you more for it? Yeah. Why? You're mm-hmm. telling them through your actions that you're willing to do it for less. Mm-hmm. So why are they going to pay you more? Yeah. That was a very hard lesson. And it's hard because sometimes you will miss opportunities Mm -hmm. because of it. Yeah. I haven't been in my position very long and they opened up a promotion and I was like, well, I'm not going to get it, but that's not why I didn't apply. Yeah. I was like, I don't feel the need right now in my life. I've had a lot of change happen. I just got this job. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about it. I'm still feeling like I'm learning it. I don't want another new job. Mm -hmm. I want this job. I'm not going to put my name in a hat for something just to give off that I am into growth. Right. I'm happy where I am. That has been a learning process for me. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like at my age, it feels like the stakes aren't as... It just feels like the stakes aren't as high Mm -hmm. with jobs. It's like... And I know that people don't love to hear this, but it's just a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it worth being unhappy, not sleeping, not eating, mm-hmm. feeling stressed all the time, having like absolutely unstable? Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. Yeah. The more that more of us start setting those types of boundaries, it breaks patterns, the more quickly the workforce as a whole is going to change. Yeah. And I think that's what's been really cool about seeing Gen Z mm-hmm. is that, like I mentioned, like I feel like as like young millennials, we felt this way about jobs, but we've learned and felt like we've had to fake it. Yeah. Fake ambition, fake 
I really care about marketing, fake, whatever. And some older Gen Zs who are entering the workforce are like, no, I'm not going to fake that. Like, it's just a job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, (laughs) it's such a good mentality to have in so many things, Mm -hmm. but especially in work, it's such a good mentality. That's like my my hype up when I go into a job Mm -hmm. interview or like a meeting I'm stressful, stressed about. I'm like, you're so lucky to have me. Of mm-hmm. all the people on this earth, <laughs> you're yeah. so lucky to have me in this room with you. Yeah. All right. I did one more thing. <laughs> I do feel like the Night Witch commandment, all of you girlies in the workforce, be proud you're a woman. Be proud you're a woman. Like, yeah. you, that is something you should be confident about, even if the world is not yet seeing that as something to be proud of. If you feel proud of it, I feel like that... Is just another thing you can add yeah. to the back of your mind when you walk into an interview or wherever to like exude that level of confidence. You yeah. don't have to pretend to be a man. That is something <sighs> I remember. I'm about your to go on another tangent. Perceived weaknesses are your strengths. Are strengths that, this especially goes, I think, with tone and how we treat other people in the workforce. For so long, women have had to be like, well, I need to be more assertive. I need to stop using exclamation marks. I need to be more cold, deadpan, whatever. I need to be more to be respected, male. masculine energy instead of maybe men need to use more exclamation points sometimes. Men need to be a little bit kinder in their communication. Like, it's not that you have to go and exude the energy of the men you work with. Yeah. Be a cycle breaker. Yes. And it's hard. Like, I feel like... Yeah, easier said than done. When I was 22 and making Mm -hmm. $10 an hour, there's a reason I put up with all that shit. Yeah. I didn't have options. And, like, I think that's why, especially, like, when you say like women in leadership like be intentional about who you're pulling chairs up for like Mm -hmm. it's I think it's on the people who do have options it's on the people like I think at this point in my career that's why I'm so firm about things Mm -hmm. because it's like I have leverage now right I have options. I have a savings account mm-hmm. where if I hold my ground about something I feel strongly about and I'm fired for it, I can live through that. Right. Where when I was 22, I couldn't. Yeah. I would have been homeless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. But truly, I was paycheck yeah. to paycheck and most mm-hmm. people are. I think that's why it's really on the people who can. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think it's more than just like women too. Like mm-hmm. it's... I think what makes you different in a workplace, mm-hmm. your perceived weaknesses are your strengths. I think that's mm-hmm. going to become a mantra of mine now because yeah. it's like, and I feel emotional about it for some reason I can right see now. it in your eyes. I feel like it is one of those things where like you're going to get heat for it. Yeah. And not everyone is going to love it at first. Mm-hmm. And I've had so many people I have worked with or like been in my life where it's like it might be harder. Yeah. And, like I think it's really being able to have conversations like among leadership teams is that person a bitch? Yeah. Or do they communicate differently right. than you and you're not meeting them mm-hmm. where, they, where they are? Yeah. You know, like it really is, we're at a place in work where like a lot of things mm-hmm. are having to change. Yeah. Where we're still very new to the digital age. Yeah. And we've just created so many toxic environments for so mm-hmm. many people. And I think it, it really does take like the people yeah. in whatever position of power you have, like mm-hmm. really standing for what you stand for. Right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? 
I think realizing for like, I've always perceived like me being very <laughs> emotional and I hate being called sensitive, but in many ways that is true. Like as a weakness, because I have in many ways been told it's a weakness, Yeah. but it made me really good at telling when someone I managed was unwell. Yeah. It made me really good at giving feedback to my writers in a way that is like empathetic Mm -hmm. and collaborative. It didn't, that wasn't immediate. Like I remember at that same job I was talking about, there was a discussion I had to have about like, you need to be kinder. It was you, to you. (laughs) Like to to our freelancer. Someone thought that because I thought we needed to be kinder and more human with our contractors. Mm-hmm. That that was not necessary for one thing. And that was really seen, I think, as a weak side of me. That no, you're the only one who gets upset about that kind yeah. of stuff. I'm like, no, like I'm the only I'm one of the only ones who voices it. Yeah. There's that canary analogy where it's like there's the canary in the coal mine. The yeah. canary is the thing that dies first when there is a, a something bad about to happen in a coal mine. Gas mm-hmm. leak, I don't know, science. Women in STEM. <laughs> and if you don't pay attention to the canary, all of the people in the coal mine yeah. are gonna die. So if you're not paying attention to the one more sensitive quote unquote, emotional person who is going to be the one that voices, this is not okay. Yeah. This is way too like high of an expectation for XYZ, whoever. You are going to have immense turnover. You're going to have an unhappy workforce. Well, in that situation where you were- uh, Feisty. Feisty on my behalf. (laughs) It was a funny situation because she had been extremely rude to me. Yeah. This person had been extremely rude to me, very belittling. Mm Mm-hmm. It was honestly laughable how she was talking to me, thinking that she that I was just gonna giving I, you a bone. I'd been freelancing for a while at this right. point. I had a ton of business. I didn't need. I did that not need job. that business. Did I want it? Sure. sure. It was a great, you know, client. I don't remember what the project was. It, it was, was long form. Writing. It was the request was four white papers in two weeks with multiple interviews needed to complete. Yeah, the white my papers. my response was, uh, yeah, that's not how I operate. Go with another freelancer. Was yeah, my response. I don't have capacity. I, you know, I'm really booked up. I could take one of them. I can't do that, you know, mm-hmm. but, and I said, for or you free. said one a week for the next month. Yeah. I gave her a timeline and I, I said, this is my normal timeline. I could condense it, mm-hmm. you know, just in good faith since we've worked together. And I think I said, uh, if that doesn't work for you, find someone else, uh, feel free to go with your other contractors. I knew they had like a roster of contractors mm-hmm. and her response was, I don't remember. It was hilarious. I was, and I said, I'm not interested. I saw it and immediately messaged you. We weren't even that close the, yet. But the funny part about it was like, she didn't care whether she was being rude to me. No. And I was, I later found out, or I might've known at that time, I was their most affordable contractor. Yeah. So the other people on their roster charged more for what she was asking mm-hmm. for and also couldn't do it in that time frame. Yeah. And so it was a terrible business decision to piss me off. And I yeah. didn't take the project. Mm-mm. And if she had just gone with my time, and I later found out that the work didn't get done in the original time frame I had offered anyways, because she had made such a rash decision to be rude to me. Mm-hmm. Where if she had just been flexible and kind and worked with me, the project would have gotten done on time. Yeah. It would have been at a lower budget. It was a terrible business decision for her to be insensitive to me. Yes. And it's funny because you always say, Maggie, you always <laughs> say that you hate being called sensitive. Mm-hmm. And I would describe you as sensitive. And I think it's like a beautiful quality 
Because I feel like when you hear sensitive, you hear reacting sensitively. Yeah. And, and when I hear the word negatively sensitive, against me, yeah. When I hear the word sensitive, I think being sensitive to the people around you. Mm-hmm. Like being adaptive to how people feel, picking up on how people feel, being responsive to that. I think being sensitive is a really beautiful quality. I think I'm very empathetic. I wouldn't describe myself as sensitive. Mm-hmm. And I, but I have a lot of sensitive people in my life that I'm like, that's a really beautiful trait to have. Anyways, we're crying. We both cried today at this point. Yeah. After (laughs) the art of racing in the rain. Yeah. (laughs) Just emotionally unstable. All right. Let's get into our questions. Okay. Our segment today, it's the first time we've done this, Mm -hmm. is ask me anything. So on our, we posted a question box on our Instagram for the first time and had people ask us questions Mm -hmm. a lot of them are silly and we're gonna answer them anyways yeah and we'll do this like i think it would be fun to do this every couple of episodes okay first question i won't name names (laughs) the very first question we got is are y'all single question mark exclamation point eyeball emoji um short answer one two three yes yes We are both single, but yeah. I do need to tell, this is a person who follows both of us on Instagram. We don't know this person. A lurker. He's a lurker. He he just started following me. I don't know how long he's been following you, but he watches every single one of my Instagram stories like really quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's funny to me because he what I posted this question box on our podcast instagram and then Mm -hmm. i shared it to my personal instagram he watched my story then he Mm -hmm. watched the podcast story then he asked this question and like no hate to him right to be honest like yeah if you think someone's cute and you follow them on instagram the missing piece for me is like why can't you just message first of all is that he asked are you both (laughs) like he's like i'll take either very funny to me but and it was even funnier that like our whole podcast is about being single in your right 30s. if you would listen to the first episode you would know the answer or any of the clips we posted it was so funny to me and then mm-hmm. the other part of it was like why wouldn't you just like message someone right away like if yeah. you follow them on social media just message them there's a other side of this where i mm-hmm. received like a huge message from a man once who followed me on Instagram and it was really mm-hmm. nice but it scared me obviously yeah. so I never responded right but just message someone hey yeah I think I matched with you on hinge or hey I noticed you have a podcast and you live in Oklahoma I have a business and I live yeah. in Oklahoma we should totally partner yeah that is so non-threatening mm-hmm. and cool and fine mm-hmm. being a lurker is weird yeah <laughs> And we all do it. Yeah. We all do it. But, like, stop, maybe. Yeah. Stop, maybe. (laughs) Okay. Stop lurking. Take action. I know that was a silly question. Yeah. And maybe he was hoping for, like, a DM, but I decided (laughs) instead to roast him publicly. (laughs) And if he had done any research, he would know that that would be my response. Because if I'm given the opportunity to roast a man in public platform, I will. 100% of the time. I will also say, we've deleted several of my roasts. Yeah. Off just the episodes we've recorded, because sometimes I go too far. (laughs) Sometimes we have to... The more episodes we make, the more we'll be able to leave them in. I think once we've frog in the boiling pot, we've got to warm up the listeners and then we'll just be like, boom! They don't need to know how. Mean. (laughs) I can be mean. It's not my fault. I don't know whose fault it is, but 
bitch sure as hell isn't mine. <laughs> Anyways, question two is from one of our beloved coworkers. Mm-hmm. Who is your favorite shared work colleague? <laughs> this is from Stephanie. Steph. Who is, I would say, high on that list. High on that list, yeah. But this is a fun, funny opportunity to say that we have worked at two companies together, almost three, and we have a curse both of which I got laid off from. Well, yeah, our first job where we met, mm-hmm. we worked together. Um, I worked there first and then Maggie was hired and was laid off, I think, two weeks or two months into working there. Roughly. Two, three months into working there. And we weren't even really like close friends there. Mm-hmm. And then we became better friends afterwards. And then I was offered a job at one of your places of employment. Mm-hmm. This was, oh, I, yeah. I was freelancing. I was offered a job. I, I canceled all my freelance contracts contracts and like a week before I was supposed to start they rescinded their offer and then your next job is where I was hired I ended up being I it took me like six more months to find a job yeah and I fought for you to get hired yeah and And I get hired and then I got laid off Maggie was laid (laughs) off maybe two months later yeah. So we have a bit of a curse. But Where as far as, we have a two-month max. Yeah. As far as shared colleagues, Stephanie, you're high on that list. We love you. We, we talk love you so often much. about how much we love you. But also from our first job, like a lot of our close friends are from that job. Yeah. So we have a lot of people that we really love, which I think is really cool. Next, we have a question that says, how do you guys stay so hot and funny in this economy. Antidepressants. That's from Gina. <laughs> Gina. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Medication. Counseling. Hot girl walks. It didn't say sane. It said hot and funny. Right. But I would be significantly less hot if I wasn't medicated. Oh, okay. Sure. Right. I like that. Because I would look like a slug all the time, which I still do, but a hot slug. <laughs> For me, I think it's the opposite. My oh. my response to anything bad is to make jokes. Mm-hmm. I am the Chandler Bing of... Is that his last name? Life. Yeah. Weird. I never uh, watched that show much either. <laughs> I, like, if I'm cracking jokes, I'm unwell most of the time. I mean, I'm funny when I'm well. Right. Also, I'm just a funny girl. Uh-huh. I have a really hilarious picture of me from middle school that maybe I'll upload to Patreon <laughs> for this episode that I call my funny girl origin story. It's like, if you look like that in middle school, you become funny. Yeah. Because no one wants to talk to you for your appearance. But I did luckily get hot. Yeah. I'm hot now. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how I... that My hotness is from within. Yeah. I, I think all hotness is from within. Mm-hmm. It's an energy. It's a an vibe. energy. Yeah. And uh, I just believe it to be true. Especially this year. I, well, first of all, I do think when you go through a breakup or a divorce... There's a glow up. I think there's just a natural hotness that happens after that. I remember like when I first started, like started the separation, it was like all of a sudden Mm -hmm. everyone is like, I'm like a magnet of sexual energy. (laughs) And that just happened. And then it it wanes after time. Right. But so it's not quite as powerful right now. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's an energy for sure Mm -hmm. where I just choose. I just choose hotness. And I think the worse things get, the more delusional I tend to get. Right. So... Good for me. Yeah. I think I think mental illness made me kind of funny. Yeah, you're funny for sure. Oh. We giggle. Why did that sound fake? <laughs> it wasn't fake. We giggle like a ridiculous. Oh, we were just told by our friends we hung out with yesterday that we're too much together. Yeah, we hang out too much. No, that we are too much. Like that oh, we're just cracking I jokes. thought he said we hang out too much. He said you're it's 
too much. He did say we hang out too much. Like we spend too much time together and it's just too much when we're both in the same the same room. Yeah. We're just cracking jokes. We're giggling. Bouncing off Half each the time other. we're not even saying them out loud because we spend so much time together that we already know what the punchline is. Right. <laughs> we just make eye contact and we're like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I feel it. like it was like that same friend like the weekend, last weekend, I think said something because I don't even remember what we had done, but we like like didn't 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 back and forth like yeah. very quickly, and he was like, "How did y'all even do that?" Yeah. <laughs> Oops, it's fun. Yeah, so we're even hotter and funnier together. Yeah, I do think hotness is a mentality. Yeah. I do think that like I in the last couple of years, I definitely feel like maybe I don't know if it was COVID or just like I just really stopped trying for a little while, mm-hmm. and not that I was not hot then. I still mm-hmm. was uh, a little cutie mm-hmm. as I <laughs> I am but I have been more intentional about putting like time and energy into my not my appearance but like feeling good yeah like what I'm wearing and what I'm doing with my hair and what makeup like I've really been yeah trying to dress to feel amazing yeah so when I walk from my house to Maggie's house I'm like am I the hottest piece of shit on this earth <laughs> yes yeah and that also goes a long way yeah to just feel good about yourself yeah I do feel like, I think I was telling my mom this like a few months ago, but I do feel like something I've been doing to feel, this is just like the little pro tips on just how to feel good. Competent. Especially as like women entering or in your 30s, I feel like I for so long dressed and still do. To just feel hot by other people's standards, particularly men. Yeah, for the male gaze. The male gaze. And I just needed to feel hot in that specific way. And I wore mostly jean, mostly black. Nothing wrong with neutral colors. I still wear black all the time. But it was very much like for a specific energy. Yeah. And now look at me. (laughs) Look at this. Look at this cardigan. But there was something that just like as I was approaching 30 and now in 30s where I was just like, why? Yeah. And I just started leaning into what do I I actually like? Turns out Minimalist Maggie really likes color. Yeah. A lot. Weird colors together. Yeah. Like this. Like that's a weird color combination. And something about just being able to be like, yeah, I'm going to wear that because it's cool and fun and interesting. Yeah. And that makes me feel good when I have a kind of weird outfit on. It makes me feel hot. I have always been that way too. Yeah. I it's funny when I was in high school, I ask anyone who mm-hmm. ask anyone who went to high school with me, I dressed weird. Yeah. F- like fun. I was very Tumblr girl. I dressed in high school. Uh, there was no genre. Mhm. There was no genre for me in high school. I was dressing so out there weird and I like really reined it in in college cuz I, you know, started college with a very short pixie cut that I then started growing out and mm-hmm. I was like I need friends someone talk to me <laughs> and so I like really dressed very like normal after that but like I always feel my most confident when I'm wearing something that's a little out there yeah or like feels really comfortable or feels very mm-hmm. me I also really like things that are like not like I have some like really femme clothes that yeah. I really like but if I like super boss, kind of gay, yeah, I feel so confident, yeah, in that. And I think it's because it's not for like that male gaze. It's like I don't know, and I like when people when you walk down the street and everyone's like, "You're different." Yeah, just makes me it makes my head enormous. <laughs> <laughs> so or like my go go boots. Yeah, 
I feel beautiful in my go-go boots. Mm-hmm. I wish I could sleep in them. I'm cutting them. my hair. Yeah, your hair looks amazing like that. Made me feel. When I dyed my hot. hair blonde, that was a split dye. That helped me too. Oh yeah, because you're known. Yeah, yeah. From coast to coast, you're known. Your <laughs> From here to dye. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> it's a coast. On a lake. <laughs> All right. Next question. Yeah. Favorite Halloween stories, even better if they're feminist or center. Oh, yes. That was, I felt like this story, I actually was going to do a different story. And then I redirected when I saw that question because the night witches just felt. Yeah. Especially since at least some of it takes place in October, but it's also at night and it's like real women. It feels like a good, and it's also like all these Nazi forces huddled up terrified of the sound yeah. at night. That feels like it's, Halloween campfire it's just the story. Girls. Yeah. It's just the girls. Dun, 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 dun. Let's go, girls. We're going out tonight. We're feeling all right. We're gonna let it all hang out. That was their theme song if it existed at the time, which it didn't. Yes. But it was they would have loved Shania. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of my, like, it wasn't like a traditional, like, we tell the story at Halloween or whatever, but I kind of chose the story to be in honor of that question. My favorite Halloween, it, it wasn't women-centered, but my favorite Halloween story uh, when I was growing up was Axe Murder Hollow. Shout out to my Erieites. So there was this old story that I think is true. There was like this abandoned like cabin mm-hmm. down in the woods that was Ooh. Axe Murder Hollow is what it was called. And there was a guy that like lived in that house that killed I think his like wife or his girlfriend and maybe several other people. And it was like this back road. I used to take this road to get to work. Mm-hmm. But it was right by my house growing up. Yeah. And, you know, like kids would go there Halloween mm-hmm. night if you like went in dark. You're supposed to like see the ghost or like the axe murderer. My dad every year wanted to dress up as him. <laughs> and he never did. But he always yeah. was like, how funny would it be if I just went down there with an axe? And I'm like, that feels like a good way to like get accidentally killed. Right. Accidentally killed. Axe. Um, I got really distracted because that reminded me of a story from my college town where you would drive. It was one of those weird things where it's like you and your friends would like pile in the back of someone's truck and go because there were supposedly these like lights and they were called the Anson lights oh. that you could see. And I just Googled it because I was like, I have to remember what this story was. Because it was rumored that a white light kind of like will start traveling down the road, I think three times. But it was based on the ghost behind the light was a woman who had three sons. They would go out to like chop wood or do something. She always said, flash the lantern like three times if there's trouble. And then it had happened one night and they were had been murdered by the time she got there. So the flashing lights is like oh, supposed creepy. to be her spirit trying to find her sons. So that's women-centered, not necessarily in a fun way. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, I remember that being like the story, uh, like the haunting of my college town. Yeah. Okay, last question, Okay, which I'm not prepared to answer. Is Jennifer's body for the girls? It was marketed toward dudes, mm-hmm. but it's now a girly cult classic. And yeah. I truthfully know nothing about Jennifer's body, so. I haven't actually seen it. And so what I would love to do is watch it and then give more information next time. But as far as I understand, the, I know the premise of it. Mm-hmm. And the premise is that I think she is like the hottest girl in school mm-hmm. and rejects a lot of boys. But then she gets, I think, possessed 
and essentially starts like offing all of these men who nice. like want to sleep with her. And I, th- from what I've heard, it was very much intended to be like this femme fatale, male gazey situation that which like the femme fatale idea is all about usually they're a plot like they advance the plot for a main male character Mm -hmm. or they are for like they are created to cause the downfall of the man but like she's from what i understand very much like the main character in this story and so i think it's been kind of reclaimed by women both in the discussions of how society makes women especially women who are sexual into Monsters, And I think there's also an element of her reclaiming power. Yeah. In a way. So but for the girls, probably. For the girls, yeah. So I think there's a lot of stuff, but like... But intended for the boys. Probably. Intended for the boys, and then we're like, nope, that's ours. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I... Well, but I would like it. to watch it. We should watch it we and then come back night. with a more... Um, that would be fun. With a, with a more thorough answer to that question. Yeah. And it's still October, so we would be watching it as like a scary movie in October. Yeah, fun. Okay, cool. Um, I truthfully really badly need to pee. Okay. So I think we should wrap. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. What are our closing remarks? Thank you for being here today. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being there. Whole world's thinking. The whole world's thinking you. Thinking us and thinking you. I don't know. I know that song. I think it might be from Bob's Burgers, but I didn't know that. Shout out to Bob's Burgers. Um, I never really watched it, but I saw a clip of it. No, I don't think there's much else to say. Just be proud you're a woman, if you're a woman. (laughs) Be proud you're a woman. (laughs) Yeah, we're cool. Your perceived weaknesses are your strengths. Yes, yes. Especially the ones that are typically associated with women and femininity. Yeah. Okay. Ho, ho, ho!